surpass penetrating and perfect dharma is very many with even a hundred thousand million kalpas adding it to see and listen to to remember and accept I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Last week, uh, Larry asked a question and I said I would speak to it this week. He's not here. (laughs) This question had to do with, we were talking about uh, the precept having to do with um, right speech and then truth and listening and he was concerned about uh, when there's so many lies around uh, in the media and in the uh, what passes for political discourse um, how not to feel um, really sickened and be overwhelmed by a negative reaction. Um, so I wanted to, I think I'll talk about this some more at Sashin because it's, I'd like to get into this at some depth. Um, the time first, just uh, as reference to what might be overwhelming, um, I've been reading a couple of books lately. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg's book, Secrets, a memoir of the Vietnam, a memoir of Vietnam and the Pentagon Papers. This is really his own personal story of how he was completely involved in the government. Uh, a very dedicated, hardworking, intelligent uh, person, thinking that he was doing all the right, you know, really working for good and helping to protect the world from nuclear disaster. And then how he began to discover the uh, the layers of of misinformation and falsehood and secrecy that completely permeate permeate the uh, higher levels of government and was uh, he was involved in that kind of fabric uh, of uh, falsehood and secrets himself for many years. So it's really uh, actually horrifying when you read this and you realize that uh, every president (laughs) routinely misinformed Congress, not to mention lying to the whole country, and uh, cabinet members would lie to each other depending on what was going on in their department that they felt that they had to protect. It's just, uh, it's, it, it's quite uh, fascinating and, and, and scary, actually, to know that this was going on and still is going on. Um, so there's that, and then there's this, this book, uh, some of you may have read, it's been on the uh, national bestseller list, War, War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning has to do with how we rationalize war and how um, 
actually raises the whole question of what gives us meaning. And of course, part of what gives us meaning is what we think is meaning is uh, creating a polarized view. Um, uh, banding, identifying ourselves as opposed to an enemy. So that we become, uh, we, we develop a sense of meaning. This is actually quite uh, a wonderful, astute, and uh, uh, also personal account of a person who is a journalist who has spent time in many different uh, nations at war during his lifetime and has uh, really studied uh, the dynamics of that. So these are these are books that I think are very cautionary accounts that relate to the whole question of what is true. Um, now from the, the Buddhist uh, teachings about truth are of course absolutely central to Buddhism. Buddha, we say we, the three treasures are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And Dharma um, really means truth, reality itself, and the teachings about reality itself. So for, for people who raise the question in their own hearts, you know, what is the path that enables me to see clearly. Um, this this whole question of of truth is not just a matter of telling the truth. It's a matter of first deeply knowing your own experience. Um, so I wanted to reference some of the uh, the Pali suttas that relate to uh, teachings about the truth. Now the precepts, uh, some of the, pre the precepts actually were originally expressed in the, the Brahmajala Sutra, and I just wanted to read one section here that has to do with uh, speech. And then I want to take up some of these other questions a little bit farther on. So this uh, uh, Brahmajala Sutra, this is translation uh, from Morris Walsh in uh, uh, he did a whole series of translations uh, this is from the, the Diga Nikaya the long discourses abandoning false speech the ascetic Gautama dwells refraining from false speech a truth speaker one to be relied on trustworthy, dependable, not a deceiver of the world. Abandoning malicious speech, he does not repeat there what he has heard here to the detriment of these, or repeat here what he has heard there to the detriment of those. Thus he is a reconciler of those at variance and an encourager of those at one. Rejoicing in peace, loving it, delighting in it, one who speaks up for peace. Abandoning harsh speech, he refrains from it. He speaks whatever is blameless, 
pleasing to the ear, agreeable, reaching the heart, urbane, pleasing and attractive to the multitude. Abandoning idle chatter, he speaks at the right time what is correct and to the point of dhamma and discipline. He is a speaker whose words are to be treasured, seasonable, reasoned, well-defined, and connected with the goal. Of course, the goal is liberation, nirvana. Thus, those in the world would praise the Tathagata. So that's just one section, which beautifully articulates um, skillful and complete truth-telling with the voice. And of course the mind is, it's necessary to uh, be seasoned and skillful in understanding mind in order to be skillful in speech. Um, I was struck here that uh, speech here is linked with reconciliation, a reconciler of those at variance, an encourager of those at one. So those who are already in harmony are supported and encouraged, rejoicing in peace, loving it, delighting in it. Um, so this teaching has been around for a long time. So it's, uh, it's, it behooves us as practitioners to go back and uh, check on some of these teachings from time to time. Um, so then the question is then how to uh, develop the clarity of vision in which is the basis for seeing the truth and speaking the truth. And I thought uh, the most helpful reference for background would be to review the Maha uh, Satipatthana Sutta. The Maha Satipatthana Sutta is uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the feelings, mindfulness of states of mind, and mindfulness of the contents of mind. So this, uh, I wanted to read uh, part of the introduction. Because this is considered the most basic, uh, fundamental uh, guide to the practice uh, we call a sitting practice, actually. Uh, we call zazen. We don't often go back and look at this, but, the, but our zazen uh, is based on this, and, um, and you can be sure that the people in China who you know, from where Zen developed were uh, people who had already, were quite familiar with these, these sutras. 
I've changed uh, this here. Uh, Morris Walsh translates bhikkhus and bhikkhunis as monks. I think it's kind of a mistake. I think you should have left it as as, as bhikkhus, which is more specific. <laughs> but I think for us it's better to translate it as followers of the way. So um, as I read it, I'll be putting in followers of the way, way and sometimes I'll change masculine to feminine gender. <laughs> there is, followers of the way, there is this one way to the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and distress, for the disappearance of pain and sadness, for the gaining of the right path, for the realization of nirvana, that is to say, these four foundations of mindfulness. What are they? Here, a follower of the way abides, contemplating body as body, ardent, clearly aware and mindful, having put aside hankering and fretting for the world. One abides contemplating feelings as feelings. One abides contemplating mind as mind. One abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects. Ardent, clearly aware and mindful, having put aside hankering and fretting for the world. Um, so those are the four. And then the contemplations of the body um, are entered into here in great detail. Beginning with the breath. And I often, at the beginning of our practice of zazen here, I refer you to uh, your breath. And um, I won't go into all the breath uh, detail here tonight, but I think when we, at Sashin, I want to refer back to this. Um, after the breath, um, it talks about the four postures, and then actually going into uh, activity from the four. Four postures are sitting, standing, um, walking, or lying down. When we say four postures, that's what we're referring to. Um, I haven't gotten to the part I particularly wanted to refer Larry to yet. Um, let me just go to that. In this, so then we go from body, then we go to feelings, then we go to um, mental states, um, and then to objects of mind. In the section on objects of mind, um, all the basic teachings of Buddhism are included. The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and so in the process of looking at objects of mind, you and reviewing the contents of mind, you actually look at all these teachings as you are you have already stabilized your body and mind with your breath practice and your body awareness, mindfulness practices included in. These teachings are the uh, uh, the awareness of hindrances. 
the five hindrances here are uh, identified as sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, worry and flurry, and a corrosive doubt, the kind of doubt that actually undermines your confidence in your own existence, really. Uh, the three middle ones, I think, really relate to the states of mind that you may get into reading the newspaper or turning on the TV. Um, ill will, sloth and torpor, worry and flurry. <laughs> There's more description, of course, of each one. Uh, sometimes uh, you'll notice that uh, you begin to develop a negative reaction. Right? <coughs> sometimes you notice that you kind of go numb, sloth and torpor. You actually uh, develop a, a deadened state. Losing yourself in a deadened state is actually a hindrance to your developing skill and awareness. Worry and flurry are developing anxiety, um, in which in which you may begin to have you know a whole uh, loop of thoughts that uh, generate more and more anxiety. Uh, also, can really be detrimental to your whole quality of life and, pra and practice and your ability to be skillful in responding. So, the key here is that for each one of these, the practice is to notice, simply notice that this hindrance is present. You don't try to get rid of it. If you notice it's present, then you notice how it arises. You notice the situation when it does not arise, and you notice the situation when it arises. Then you notice how it dissipates. So, so you know the arising, you know the non-arising, and you know fading away of of these states. So this is all in the context of fundamentally having established mindful awareness. So actually, it's a good idea when you read the paper, before you read the paper, <laughs> to pause. You know, consult your breathing. Then pick up the paper, read a sentence, see what happens. <laughs> If you find yourself, you know, if you find any of these states arising, then be careful because you can uh, you can easily lose yourself. So, so we're not trying to say that these states are are not uh, are something that you should avoid, but you should simply recognize a hindrance as a hindrance. And you should recognize a factor of enlightenment as a factor of enlightenment. <coughs>
to right now. But this is uh, very basic uh, mindfulness uh, Buddhist practice. And it is uh, an effort to protect your sanity. Um, in my own case, uh, I started practicing Buddhism when I realized that I was continually in a state of being anxious and upset, trying to solve the problems of the world. <laughs> and noticed other people around me, we were all uh, you know, angry at each other, very frustrated and unable to work effectively because uh, we were not even taking care of our own bodies and uh, didn't understand what was behind our states of mind and emotion. So I'm offering this to you, Larry, if you look at this, listen to this tape, and uh, um, to take care of yourself and your state of mind when you endeavor to see what's true and realize that so much that's being uh, held up in front of us is not. Uh, that can be very distressing. Uh, so we have to develop the skill and maturity to take care of ourselves until, in the end, these great bodhisattvas are able to enter realms of great distress and not lose themselves. Enter a sea of flames or a sea of falsehoods and not lose themselves and actually be helpful and effective in that context. So we're all, you know, in various places working with ourselves and developing uh, our capacity. I'm sure that's five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like to uh, uh, give you a chance to reflect on this, and hopefully uh, we'll have uh, at some of our circle focus times in Sashin, and uh, some more of the uh, Dharma talks in Sashin to continue uh, exploring this, and then we can have some discussion. Uh, okay, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>